Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in it you speak to us, you challenge us, and you change us by your spirit. Father, please be with us now as we hear it read uh, and explained. Please help us to understand clearly what it is that you are saying to us and help us to live lives that reflect who we are as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So I'm going to start at 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, 
If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So uh, we come this week to, I think, one of our culture's favourite words, uh, love. What is love? Love is love. Is that the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, I think that our world is really in love with love. Love stories, we love food, we love sports, we love love. Uh, And in chapter 4, John says that God is love. So if he's the creator and the one who is eternal, then he gets to decide what love is. And this is one of the main topics that John uh, addresses in this letter. Uh, John's original readers were, like us I think, uh, surrounded by conflicting demands on their love. Uh, We saw last week his warning uh, about love for the world, against love for the world. In this chapter, he begins to consider what it means to live as God's children and to reflect his love, to love like he does. He challenges us to love what God loves and to love our brothers and sisters in the way that he loves. And he also uses a word we're less keen on, um, hate. For John, hate is the opposite of love. And John is keen on opposites, as we've seen, uh, because they help us to see what's true. So far, we've looked at, so far as we've looked at this letter, we've seen what John um, wants his readers to know truly, that they have eternal life. That's his goal in writing to them. Uh, he wants them to know that they have forgiveness of sin, The sin that they couldn't deal with has been dealt with in Jesus in his atoning death and knowing that he wants them to persevere. We saw last week he wants his readers to persevere in following Jesus and to know that their salvation is secure in Christ. He doesn't want them to be complacent and distracted by the love of the world around them and he doesn't want them to be anxious He wants them to strive for godliness but to be confident that Jesus' work on the cross has already saved them. And our section today began in the same way by reiterating that call to persevere. These verses, I think, are really at the heart of this letter. This perseverance is to be marked both by trust in Christ and by the way that we live. It is possible because we're God's dearly loved children who have been born of him. It's not our own goodness or rightness that enables us to persevere, but God's goodness and righteousness in us, the things that we share as part of the family likeness. In 2, uh, 28 and 29 we read, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. John wants them to know and to be sure 
that they are his dear children. He really wants them to know that. He's already addressed them as dear children uh, three times in chapter 2. And here in these verses, uh, the intimacy of the relationship is made more explicit as John speaks of them being born of God and of the love of the Father for his children. God's children are born of him. They're born again. That's a theme that's one of the unique features of John's gospel and his writing. You'll remember uh, in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus came to the, Nicodemus the Pharisee came to Jesus uh, on the sly at night. Jesus told him that if he wanted to see God's kingdom, he must be born again. Nicodemus was quite shocked, I think. He was one of the religious elite uh, and he wouldn't have expected that sort of an answer. John doesn't tell us any more right there about how Nicodemus responded. But when we get to John 7, we find Nicodemus arguing with the Pharisees that Jesus should have a fair hearing. Uh, And then in chapter 19, we find that he joins Joseph of Arimathea in making sure Jesus had a proper burial, presumably at significant personal risk and personal cost. We can only guess that Nicodemus was indeed born again and that his whole life was changed as a result of this encounter with Jesus. Nicodemus thought that he was doing what was right when he was a Pharisee But as John recorded Jesus is saying, and as he clearly reminds the readers here, it's those who have been born again that do what's right. It's not good deeds, but being born again. And to state the obvious, it's those who are born again, who are born of God, who are God's dearly loved children. His love for us is expressed in his calling us his children, in making us his children in the death of Jesus. John wants them to see that love and to see the way that it changes them. He wants them to know the lavishness of God's love. What does the word lavish make you think of? It's great extravagance, isn't it? We might even think of it as being excessive. But John wants them to see that God's love for his children is extravagant. It was costly. It cost the life of his son and it is lavish. And because they're God's children born of him, they are no longer of the world. They are to be like their father. They are to bear the family likeness. What's the family likeness like in your family? Is it strong? Can people recognise you as being part of your family? My three boys look so alike that uh, people will often recognise them without any context. Each of them has been approached by someone they didn't know uh, and asked if they were related to each other. Uh, And they all look like their dad, apart from that he doesn't have any hair. Uh, But would they recognise me as being one of God's children? Would they recognise you? John here says that God's children will be like him in three ways. Because he is eternal, we will have eternal life. Because God is righteous, we live righteously. And because he loves so lavishly, we must love. It's part of what it means to be his children. God's children are like him. 
All through uh, the letter so far, we've seen the duality of belonging to God and not belonging to God. There's no middle road, is there? There's only light and dark, good and evil, life and death. And there's only sin and righteousness. In verse 4 here uh, of chapter 3, there is sin and sin taken away, lawlessness and forgiveness. And lawlessness carries the implication not just of sin and a failure to get things right, but a law of a rejection of the law at all, a total unwillingness to submit to the law of God. It's like Judges talks about everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. Probably, uh, this is what John means later in chapter 5 when he talks about the sin that doesn't lead to death. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Uh, but that sort of lawlessness of total refusal to submit to God's law at all. There's no assurance of, of eternal life for those who claim to be God's children but who live as children of the devil. Have a look with me at 3, verse 7 to 10. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been, been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. They're confronting words for us to hear, aren't they? At least they should be. No one born of God will continue to sin. And yet he's been at great pains to remind them that we all sin and to say that if we say otherwise, we're deceiving ourselves. But being born again, being born of God is life-changing like it was for Nicodemus. It's irreversible. We can't be unborn, as Nicodemus said to Jesus. It's a whole new birth that changes everything about who we are. We'll no longer live as a law unto ourselves, wanting to make our own rules or being lawless. Jesus, the Son of God, has destroyed the devil's work and those who are children of God are not children of the devil. John's not suggesting that uh, we'll stop sinning when we come to Christ. We've already seen that. But those who are God's loved children who've been born again uh, will live lives that are different from those who are children of the devil. We'll submit to the law rather than making up our own rules. We're not lawless, but those who do as God's command And his command is to love. Those who are God's children are safe as his children. We are loved by him lavishly and we're like his father. We're like our father. We're like him. And in verse 11 of chapter 3, John turns to the third way in which they are to be like him, in love for one another. He says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. 
You may have noticed last week, uh, the attentive listeners, that we didn't look at verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2, where John says this. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Love for God and love for others is at the very heart of the old covenant. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. When the Pharisees tried to test Jesus by asking him the great, greatest commandment, Matthew records Jesus' answer. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hung on these commandments. The commands to love God and to love others, love our neighbours, were not new. They'd been given by Moses, and yet they are new. Jesus said to his disciples on the last evening before his death, after he'd washed their feet and after Judas had left, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus fulfilled all of the law. He's the one that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the law and the prophets point to. In what he has done for them there and in what he's about to do in his death, Jesus fulfills and completes the command to love. So the command to John's readers and the command to us is both old and new. Its newness is seen in what Jesus has done and the call to be like him, to love like he does, to love because we have been loved by the Father. John really expands on this in this chapter and talks more about what it means to love our brothers and sisters. As we've already seen, he works in opposites to help us to understand, help his readers understand that there are just two options, living as God's children and not living as God's children. And so he draws now on the example of Cain, whose actions were the opposite of love. Cain, as we know, killed his brother Abel because Abel was righteous. Abel did what pleased God and Cain didn't. It might seem like a bit of a jump, um, but this is why they're not to be surprised that the world hates them. Like Abel, if they do what is right, they will show up those who reject God and reject his way, those who are unrepenting of their sin, who are not God's children, who are walking in darkness instead of light. And so they should expect the world to hate them in verse 13, as Cain hated Abel. They should expect the world to hate them 
because they show up where the world is going wrong. This wouldn't have been a surprise to John. Um, In chapter 15 of his gospel, uh, from verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, this is Jesus speaking, um, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for my sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would be guilty of sin. They would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and the Father. But this is to fulfil what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. John's had 60 years since he heard Jesus say these words to see how that played out uh, in his life uh, and in the life of those around him. It wasn't a surprise to him uh, and he wants his readers to be prepared and to expect it. And we shouldn't expect anything different. The world we live in is not unlike the world of of John's readers. It's rejected God as Father and Jesus as Saviour. It wants to make its own rules. That's what John calls lawlessness and it's changing, I think. Fifty years ago, the world was much more accepting of Christian values in general and our Western civilization is built on them, unlike the, the culture, the world that John lived in. But increasingly, Christian values are hated. I think uh, when I was at school, and those of you who are, are a similar age to me might remember this, it was generally considered not too bad to be a Christian I think I was thought I was a bit weird because uh, I was one of those born-again Christians, as if there's actually any other sort. Um, but the school that I went to has been much in the news uh, of late as being homophobic and hateful uh, at the council of the school because they seek to employ Christian, uh, a Christian principal who believes in the Bible. That's no longer acceptable uh, in our culture. Christians there now, Christians who stand up for the truth, are in the firing line for being hated. And I think increasingly that's true. I don't know about you, but I don't much like being hated. I'd much prefer that people would like me. But John tells me here that if I hold to what's right, people will hate me because they prefer to live by their own rules and not by what God says. That's not to say that I can behave like a jerk. Uh, It doesn't justify behaving in a way that provokes hurt or hurts others. But we're not to be surprised if people hate us because we hold to the truth. And in fact, we can't claim to love people and not tell the truth. 
Truth is unpalatable to those who aren't God's children. Who wants to hear that being a nice person doesn't get us to heaven? Who wants to hear that they don't get to decide what's right and wrong for themselves? Where does the rubber hit the road for us? Is it in gently telling the truth to a family member who's just hoping they've done enough to please God? Or the friend who claims to be a Christian but wants to uphold their sinful lifestyle as good? Or challenging the friend who is convinced that they are fundamentally good? To a world that rejects God, right and wrong can be a matter of opinion, a matter for education and a subject to change and subject to change as the world moves on. But if this is God's world, he gets to decide what's right and wrong. We're surrounded by those for whom everything is a matter of personal freedom and personal choice. But for John's readers, for us, there is light and dark, righteousness and sin, truth and lies, life and death, love and hate. And the hate of the world should be in sharp contrast to our love for our brothers and our sisters. Hate might be characteristic of the world, but it never should be of us. John says in verse 15 that those who hate brothers and sisters don't have eternal life. doesn't get any more serious than that, does it? And he's speaking to believers. If we hate others, we're not being like our Father who loves lavishly. The world hates us, yet it accuses us of hate. Our love for one another should show that up as false. Remember a minute ago we read from John 13 where Jesus gave them the command to love and he said, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our love for one another should be the outstanding feature of Christian people, of the church. Is it? And it's not an airy-fairy, wishy-washy love. This is how we know what love is, he says in verse 16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. These verses challenge and confront us and they should challenge and confront us. Jesus' love for us meant giving up his life. If I were to give up my life for you, that wouldn't save you. Jesus has already done that. But nonetheless, that's what he calls us to do, to lay down our lives for others. As Christians, we ought to respond to the needs of those around us and especially to our brothers and sisters, to give materially to those in need, not just to our own wants and comforts, to give our time to those in need, not put ourselves and our desires first and to tell the truth even when it's costly. We are to love extravagantly as we are loved, not half-heartedly, not just with what we have left or what we can spare, but out of God's extravagant love for us. This is a huge topic 
but we need to begin to think about it and we need to feel the weight of the challenge because as Jesus said, of those to whom much is given, much will be expected. Saying that we love each other is not enough. It has to be seen in what we do. He wants us to do what we, do what we can, not do what we can't. Now we can't fulfil every need, but actions speak louder than words, as the saying goes. And John says this is true both in our love for God and our love for brothers and sisters. The way we live should demonstrate the love we have for our family, for God's family, who are our sisters and brothers. And in the last verses of the chapter, John turns again to his goal of reassuring his readers, helping them to know with certainty that they are God's children and have eternal life in his son Jesus. He knows that he's challenged them. He's challenged them to be like their father in the way that they live, following his commands, and in the way that they love, laying down their lives for brothers and sisters. He's challenged them to face up to the hatred of the world by sticking with the truth, and he's challenged them to show up that hatred by the way that they love. I think he knows that their consciences will be pricked. He wants to challenge them, but he doesn't want them to despair. We said last week that he doesn't want them to fall into the trap of complacency or think that they're fine as they are, but nor does he want them to fall into the trap of despair. If our consciences are pricked, it says in uh, in verse 20, if our hearts condemn us, God already knows. Our self-doubt can be silenced by trusting in God because he already knows us. When I fail, God knows. When I repent, he forgives me. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before him and receive what we ask. In verses 21 and 22, when I feel like a failure, I can put that to the test and put, uh, put that to rest uh, and be confident in his forgiveness. He has promised it. I am his dearly loved child. You are his dearly loved children. He has lavished his love on us. It rings of great extravagance. And this is and the chapter ends with these words. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he has loved us. The one who keeps God's command lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. John's message to us is for us to truly know that we have life, to know that we are his extravagantly loved children. We have his spirit in us and because we know that, we live lives that are like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us lavishly and extravagantly and that you have made us your children by the death of your son Jesus in our place. Thank you for paying that cost for us. Thank you for making us your children and part of your family. Thank you for the gift of your spirit who keeps us in Christ. Father, we pray that we will live lives that reflect who we are as your children, that we will know that we have hope in you for eternity 
that we will uh, live in a way that is right and that we will love our brothers and sisters, that we will love those around us with the love that you have given to us and that you have shown to us. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.